Hello and welcome to the Red Movement Podcast, Episode 2, Season 1, Social Injustice in the Aftermath of Black Lives Matter. In the book, The Red Movement, I write about all the different ways social injustice touches our daily lives, ways that would shock people. Black Lives Matter exposed some of those social injustices in plain sight. The Red Movement opens the door wide open to the social injustices we don't always see. The George Floyd tragedy made millions of people around the world begin to understand and support social justice movements like Black Lives Matter. But publicly supporting something versus actually doing something about it are very different things. That's where the Red Movement comes in. It gives people actions that they can take in their own lives to deal with these issues head on. In today's podcast, we take a closer look at the effects of systemic racism, social injustice, and discrimination, and how they have infiltrated different areas of our lives. If we want to end these issues, we need to go beneath the surface to understand what's really going on, on an unconscious level. And to achieve this, we have to go beyond the campaigns, beyond the slogans or the news bites. We need to go to the source of the problem and why we have failed at stopping it. It's no secret that systemic racism, injustice, and discrimination can be traced back to slavery. While slavery was officially abolished on paper over 155 years ago, this system of oppression has transitioned into a much greater problem that we have today. A problem that is three times more prevalent now than during the transatlantic slave trade of the 19th century. It's no secret that systemic racism and modern day slavery are connected in ways that are not often acknowledged or fully understood. And until we face these issues with full force and action, nothing will ever truly change. These problems will continue as they have, and in some cases just get worse. Think of it this way. It's like putting a band-aid on a gunshot wound and wondering why it won't heal. It's been widely reported around the world in academic journals, articles, UN reports, human rights reports, that over 40 million people live in slave-like conditions today, and the majority of them are minorities, women, and children. When we understand the enormity of the problem and how embedded it is, then we can begin to understand why systemic racism is also ingrained. Realistically, how do we expect the symptom to be gone when the root cause has only gotten worse? What happened to George Floyd was a symptom of a much greater social ill that has never been completely or fully addressed or ended. For example, most people are not aware that they've supported systemic racism and modern day slavery and social injustice by buying items made by slave labor or harvested by forced labor or put together by people who are exploited every single day. When you think about it, how far have we really come from when slavery was legal and culturally accepted? Let that sink in for a moment. Because when it does, that's the moment that real change has a fighting chance. 
The lack of global awareness has pushed these problems forward at an unprecedented rate. And black people have been disproportionately affected by these social injustices. Nowhere is this seen more than the chocolate industry. Hundreds and thousands of children, some as young as seven, have been trafficked to harvest cocoa beans every year in the African Ivory Coast. This is a huge problem because the Ivory Coast is home to over 70% of the world's cocoa supply. For years, the lives of these children were shrouded in an air of mystery and secrecy. While they were paid minuscule wages, if any, denied the basic right to an education, abused, neglected, coerced, and too often used as slave labor. Children rescued from the Ivory Coast have shared stories of this abuse and neglect, and sometimes even torture, while working in these hazardous conditions that feed our daily chocolate obsession. Their existence is something that almost never made the nightly news, or any news for that matter. In fact, before 2000, few people outside the Ivory Coast even knew of their existence or their struggle. Then there was a turning point in 2000 that thrust the chocolate industry into the glaring international spotlight, a spotlight they have tried to dim and shun ever since. In 2000, a series of newspaper articles reported on the problem of child trafficking in the chocolate industry and brought it to the forefront. Investigative documentaries followed, showing children smuggled from neighboring countries to the cocoa farms in the Ivory Coast. A book called Chocolate Nation, Living and Dying for Cocoa in West Africa, wrote detailed accounts at what these children would go through, how they were preyed upon on bus stops, how they were promised money and a better life, and once they got to the farms, they survived on little to no food, little pay, and often regular beatings. Some of these plantations hid some of the worst forms of child labor and slave labor behind this illusion of innocence. The harsh reality shocked and baffled many people, while newspaper reports published stories regarding the giants of chocolate. The industry raised millions of dollars in profit every single year, but the accusations of child trafficking, slavery, and labor have been haunting them ever since. Initially, when this was reported, the chocolate industry denied the claims. Then in 2001, the chocolate manufacturers signed an agreement prohibiting child slate labor and trafficking in the cocoa industry after 2000. This agreement was called the Harkin Engel Protocol, named after the men who championed the cause, U.S. Representative Elliot Engel and Senator Tom Harkin. They initially introduced a law requiring a labeling system for the chocolate industry that revealed whether the sweets were slave-free or not. The chocolate giants fought back on the labeling system, and the international agreement became known as the Harkin Engel Protocol, sometimes also known as the Cocoa Protocol. The goal was to end the worst forms of child labor in the production of cocoa, the main ingredient in chocolate. This agreement outlined how chocolate companies would wean themselves off of child labor and show certification of proof. Yet this would not require labeling products as slave-free as the initial legislation had proposed. Instead, it would require public reporting by African governments, 
third-party verification and poverty remediation. Deadlines were given and the initial deadline of 2005 passed. The completion of all the goals of the protocol were missed. The deadline was then extended until 2008 and then again in 2018. Progress was being made, but some wondered whether the extension in 2020 would finally be the year the protocol was completely met. The goal of the 2020 extension was to reduce child labor in the cocoa industry by 70%. According to the Cocoa Barometer 2018 report, not a single company or government is anywhere near reaching the sector-wide objective of the elimination of child labor. To monitor the progress in trying to reach the Harkin Angle Protocol, the U.S. government began working with Tulane University. After considerable research and investigations, a report was published back in 2009. The report shocked some people outside the chocolate industry. It painted a haunting picture of the slaves of chocolate. The research estimated that over 800,000 children and almost 1 million Ghana had worked on cocoa farms in the last year before the report was published. Within both countries, more than half a million worked in conditions that violated the International Labor Organization's guidelines and labor laws on hours and ages. More than half the children reported injury. About 5% and 10% in Ghana worked for pay. Which made some people wonder, did this constitute slavery or simply the working conditions in a third world country? Experts disagreed, but one aspect has consensus across the board. Change has been incredibly slow. Yet even though the past two decades brought intense attention to the chocolate slaves, the problem still persists today and the deadline for satisfying the protocol's modest goals have been continuously pushed back, even now in February of 2021. Yet millions of consumers remain completely unaware of the controversy in the chocolate industry and how their simple buying power is impacting thousands if not millions of lives every day. To combat this inequality, fair trade chocolate has gained momentum as stories have trickled out of the Ivory Coast. Fair trade is a movement to help producers in third world countries get a fair price for their products with the goal of decreasing poverty, providing fair treatment for farmers and their workers, and promoting practices that are sustainable environmentally and in human rights. Farmers in the Ivory Coast should be paid not just a fair price, but a living wage to, dis- to sustain their farms and have money to pay their workers and give these children a real chance at a better life. Some within the chocolate industry have made attempts to improve the problem by joining the International Cocoa Initiative. The initiative is a partnership that brings together the giants of chocolate, nonprofit organizations, labor unions, and cocoa processors. Some of the biggest names in chocolate have joined the initiative in a good faith attempt to deal with the problem. However, the most important question remains unanswered. Have these actions brought the industry any closer to achieving the very modest goals of the Harkin Ingle Protocol? And if not, then what needs to be done? And how can the chocolate industry finally be free of child slaves, child labor, and child trafficking? Will it take people to become aware?
what will it actually take? The sad reality is that this is just one industry that's tainted by this social injustice. Next week, we'll look at another industry impacted by racism, modern day slavery. When millions of people think of fashion, they think of Fashion Week in New York, Paris, or Milan. They don't think about the people who often make the clothes and are too often paid pennies on the dollar, working under unbearable hours and conditions. It's a side that the fashion world keeps hidden, for good reason. Next week on this podcast, we will talk about how the fashion industry is one of the largest employers of women worldwide. Yet according to Abel, a lifestyle brand, only 2% of the women who make the clothes are given a livable wage, meaning 98% of the women who make the clothes that we wear, they don't have their basic needs met while we enjoy the fruits of their labor. To learn more about this, you can read the book, The Red Movement, available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, or go to www.red-movement.com. I hope you join us for next week's podcast, because you are the solution to the problem. In next week's podcast, we will explore how. Until then.